Okay, good morning everyone. Welcome to the life and Torah of our leaders that we have every Tuesday morning, 11.30, live with First Seder, this Medrash, and a special welcome to our Torah Anytime viewers and listeners as well. Today we're going to talk about, and this is a very uh, exciting Gadol for us to talk about today, it's exciting for me, and uh, I think I could share my excitement with Rabbi Greenspan, because we're going to talk about Rabbi Lezer Ashkenazi. Rabbi Lezer Ashkenazi was a great-great-grandfather of our Rebbe, Rabbi Shalem Ebrevda, Levracha, as well as we'll see someone who the Gain the Vilna Gain's Pirush on Megillus Esther is based on Reb Lezer Ashkenazi's, and as we know, Reb Brevda's life was working on the Torah of the Gra, especially Megillus Esther. And for many years, I was able to learn the Yisuf Lekach, the Pirush of Reb Lezer Ashkenazi, and give Shiurim, and still continue every year to give Shiurim based on his Pirush and the Gra. So it's a very meaningful Gadol for me to talk about. So, Rav Lezer Ashkenazi, his yard set is going to be next Tuesday, Chav Bey's Kislev. He was nifter in the year Shim Memvav, 1585, so it's his 435th yard site. Who was Rav Lezer Ashkenazi? It seems from it's his, his, his uh, biography and his history is a little um, not so clear, like many G'daylim of so many years ago, four or five hundred years ago. But it seems that he was born in Italy about the year 1513. His father was named Rebelia Haroife. Rebelia the doctor, but he wasn't just a doctor, he was also a big Talmud Chacham. He was the son-in-law of Rabbi Yosef Kulun. Rabbi Yosef Kulun is better known as the Marik. The Marik was one of the last of the Tkufa of the Rishonim, a Talmud of the Maril in uh, Germany. And when he was young, he went to Italy. And I think he was Nifter in, in Lombardy. And um, so that was Rebellia Haroife. And so it appears that Rabbi Eleazar Ashkenazi was born in Italy around that year. When he was young, he already left Italy to go learn in the yeshiva of one of the Gedolim of that time. His name was Rabbi Yosef ben Reb Shloima uh, Titatsky or Tatitsky, something like that. And he was in Salonika, and he was a Talmud of the Marjdam, the Talmud of um, Reb Shleima Alkabatz, the Tal- I'm sorry, his Talmudim were the Marjdam, Reb Shleima Alkabatz, who was the Mechaber of Lechadaydi, the Alshech. Many Gedolim learned in this, by this Reb Yosef, and the Reb Lezer Ashkenazi went there as well to learn, and that's as far as we know um, his only Rebbe that we're aware of. In the year 1539, about Be'erech, he went to Egypt to live, and he became a Rav and a Dayan in Mitzrayim in Egypt. Now, there was a very famous um, traveler, and that's what they called him, a traveler, Rebeliomi Pasiroi. And he traveled from Europe to go to Eretz Yisrael, but he made a lot of detours on the way, and he wrote a diary of all the places he was in. So there's numerous um, entries about his meetings with Rebbe Lezer Ashkenazi. 
And one thing he writes, V'shafat Kalkilas Mitzrayim Chof Beishanim. That Rav Lezer Ashkenazi was the one who judged, he was the one who ruled over Egypt for 22 years. To put it into context, this was the years, these were the years that the Radvaz, um, the Shita Mekubetzes, were in Egypt at that time. So again, we're talking about the end of the Rishainim, beginning of the Acharonim. It seems that he was a very wealthy fellow, Reb Lezer Ashkenazi, when he was in Egypt. Um, about two years after he left Egypt, Reb Eliyomi Pasiro writes that he is very wealthy. He has about five or six thousand of golden, whatever the measure of wealth was at the time. And um, we'll see a little bit more of these entries from that time period, from two years after he left Egypt. But that's what he wrote after he left. So it seems that he was very wealthy. And in fact, in the Hakdama, the preface to his Sefer Yosef Lekach on Megillus Esther, he writes, Bimei Churfi, when I was young, Sivavuni Hatzlochas Hamedumais. I was surrounded by successes that are Medumas, that are like mirages. They're, they're, they seem to be successes, which seems to be an allusion to his wealth, which are not considered in his eyes um, actual true Hatzlocha. So he stayed there in Egypt till Shinchaf Aleph, like like um, like we said before, twenty two years. And Rebbeleomi Pasira writes, "Ulesiba mikris hutzrich lotes For a certain specific reason, he had to leave Egypt. Now this is where there's a lot, a few legends and um, stories of why he had to leave Egypt. In the Sefer Hashem Hagedolim Hashalem, they write there that there was Sibas Yitziyasei Misham. The reason why he left, so he says, "Ano Yadana, I know the reason." And the story is as follows: He was a very wealthy fellow, as we said, and he was very beloved by the ruler, the king of Mitzrayim. And he would actually lend the king money when necessary, and he would give the king would give him some collateral as very chashavikelim, very valuable. Uh, utensils and vessels as collateral. Now, of course, the Arabs, the Egyptians, were very jealous of his success, and they would tell the king that he's really a ganav. And in fact, instead of just holding on to the collateral, he actually uses them. These are royal goblets and royal uh, utensils, and he's using them like uh, like they're nothing. So it happened that what he used to do was. Pesach at night, he would put out all the mashkainis, all the collaterals, all the things he had on the table to show cheres. It's brought down, the Mishabur brings down, that the Maril would do such a thing. And he wouldn't use them, he would just have them on the table, it shows royalty. And it happened to be the first night of Pesach, a very high officer in Egypt saw through the window where he came to the house, and he saw that he had these things on the table. So he went crazy, went to the king and told the king, look, it's true, I saw it with my own eyes. And the king came the second night and saw it as well. And, um, and he realized, Reb Lezer realized that if he doesn't get out of town, he's in trouble. The king's going to uh, punish him. And the next day, An Yontif, he left and he ran away. And he went to, according to that legend, according to that story, I shouldn't say legend, that story, that Messira, he went, he writes, he went from there to Venice. As we'll see in a moment about Venice. In Likute Chaver Ben Chaim, which is the Talmud of the Chassam Seifer, and this is brought not only in the Sefer itself, but if you have Chidushe Chassam Seifer Ala Torah, in Sefer Devarim, in the Hakdama on page Ches, 
and Tess in a footnote there. So um, Rav Stern, who's a, um, a great-grandson-in-law of the Chassam Seifer, so he quotes from the Chavar Ben Chaim as follows. The Likute Chavar Ben Chaim quotes the Chassam Seifer, who quoted a vart from Rabbi Lazar Ashkenazi. It says in the Teichacha, V'hayisa rak lemalo, you will only be um, up. Now in the Teichacha, on the Brachas, in Parashas Kisavai, you will only be going upwards. So says Rabbi Lazar Ashkenazi, that rak is a miut, it excludes something. Why? He says, because really any time a person has a lot of gedula, greatness, he should be very, very nervous. Because the Pasuk of Mishlei says, Lifnei shever ga'in. Before HaKadosh Baruch Hu breaks someone, ga'in, he picks him up very high. So anytime a person is being very successful, says the Reb Ashkenazi, he should be nervous. Maybe Hashem is just lifting him up to throw him down. But that's only if he's at the epitome of success. But if there's still madregas, there's still levels of success that he hasn't reached, he doesn't have to worry. That's why he saw rak lemaila. You'll be up, but rak. There's a miut. You won't be all the way up. There's still some milas that you'll be missing. So that will be a complete bracha. That's what Reb Chasam Seifer used to say. B'shem Reb Ashkenazi and Zokta Chasam Seifer. The Reb Ashkenazi lived this vart. Why? The Chasam Seifer used to say over the story as follows: The king of Mitzrayim, the Egyptian king, had given him a a, a signet ring to show his love for him, a royal signet ring. And it was the king's birthday, and Rabbi Lezer Ashkenazi was going to the palace to give him a bracha, to wish him a happy birthday. And he was going on a, a, a crossing a bridge, and one of the officers of the king saw him and told him, could you show me the signet ring of the king? And this fellow wanted to, you know, get at Rabbi Lezer Ashkenazi, so he showed him the ring, and he tried to throw it into the river this guy, because he figured if it's lost, then the king will get angry at Reb Ashkenazi. So, and Reb Ashkenazi caught it in the air. He was able to catch it before it fell in. And he went to the king, and the king treated him with such covet, with such honor, he got very nervous. And he said, I seem to be at the top. I seem to be Lamala. It's not Rak Lamala. And if that's true, that means something's going to happen. And he decided to leave, to run away from Egypt that night. And Taka that night, Someone snitched on him to the king about something and that he should be put in jail. And the king sent the police to get him, but it was too late. He had already left on a ship. He left on a ship, and it seems, according to says the Chazam Seifer, the ship was in a storm and broke to pieces. And he held on to one, uh, one uh, beam of the, of, 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 the, uh, of the ship until he floated to Constantinople. Now, we don't have really any documents of him being in Constantinople. We'll see later on in the Shir that he was close with a very high Jewish officer in the Turkish Empire in Constantinople. But we don't really have, as we'll see in a moment, documents that he was in Constantinople or he was in Turkey. But there are some years of his life that are unaccounted for, and perhaps he was there at this, at this part of his life. So, but this is what the Chassam Seifer said over, and he got to Constantinople, and he was, he was poor, he had nothing on him, and he was toila that this was all because of Bittal Taira, because in Mitzrayim he, was, he had money, and he was too busy with it, and it was because of Bittal Taira, so he found himself a small little apartment, and he learned Taira, One, and he mamish had nothing, he had nothing, so he was mamish at the bottom, and one day he was eating his, his soup, and a spider fell into his soup. How low could one fall? 
And he said to himself, you can't get lower than this. And if I hit rock bottom, that means my success is now going to turn around. So this is the Vard in the opposite way. When you get too high, you'll fall. When you get too low, you can only come back up. And that day, the king, there was a, a message from the king, uh, an announcement that he needs someone to play chess with him. And Rabbi Lezer Ashkenazi ended up playing chess with him. The king was mechabed him a lot. Because he was worried about Bittul Torah, he would stay up late at night making up all the time he spent playing chess with the king. And one day he was so tired he fell asleep in the middle of the game. And the king, instead of getting angry, put a pillow under his head. And when he woke up, he realized, I'm at the top again. And he decided that he has to leave, and he ran away from the city. This is what the Chassam Soifer said over B'Shem, the, the, said the story. And he says, from there he went to Posen. As we'll see, there were a lot of stops in the middle. And again, these are different Messiahs that we have on why he left Mitzrayim. Lamaisa, he left Mitzrayim. Now, in the Hakdama, in the preface to Yosef Lekach, he writes that after I had to leave Mitzrayim, he writes like a play on a pun, on, on Chazal. He says, I remember the halacha, the Chazal say, talking about leaving Egypt, that's a good thing. That was a story with Rebbe Lezer. This is in the Haggadah. So he said it about himself, about leaving Mitzrayim was a good thing. That was a Misa story with Rebbe Lezer, himself that he had to leave Mitzrayim. So you see, he had to leave for whatever it was. he felt it was a good thing he had to leave. In the year Shin Chafalaf, which is the year seemingly that he left Mitzrayim, we find him in a place called Famgusta in Cyprus, in the island of Cyprus. In Chuvah Space Yosef, in Simon Hay, there's a letter that he signed. He writes, I'm the young one, Goyled, I'm an exile, Umiskairer, and I'm living Bi'i Jifri on the, on, the, uh, on the island of Cyprus, Eliezer. And um, the Space Yosef himself writes, signs a letter him and two other Dayanim, Rabbi Yisrael ben Rabbi Meir Kuriel and Moshe Matrani, who's the Mabit. All three of them were Talmidim of the Mari Beirav, the famous Rishan, the Mari Beirav. So the, the Beis Yosef, this Rabbi Yisrael ben Rabbi Meir Kuriel and the Mabit. And they wrote in a letter, Ro'inu, we saw what the Chacham, the complete and perfect Chacham, Rabbi Lezer Paskit. So we see in Shin Chafalif he was in Cyprus. Um, Rebbe Eliyomi Pasiroi, the traveler, that's where he met Rebbe, Rebbe Lezer Ashkenazi. He met him in Cyprus, and he writes about him. He was a Bucky, he was an expert in 12 languages. Godol Yehudim, he was great amongst the Jews. He was a Chacham in so many secular studies as well. And, uh, but in his learning, he was even 10 times more than that. Hisig Eser Yodois. In all my travels, he writes, I never saw such an awesome person like Rebbe Lezer Ashkenazi. And he's writing this in a letter that he wrote to the people in Venice. And he says that Rebbe Lezer Ashkenazi is traveling from Cyprus to Venice um, in order to meet his daughter-in-law. His daughter-in-law was a granddaughter of the Maram Mipadva. We mentioned him in other shiurim last few weeks. And he plans on staying in Venice for about a month. This is what Rebbe Leo Mipasiroi wrote a letter to the people of Venice about Rebbe Lezer Ashkenazi. But as we're going to see, that it took him, he might only have planned on staying there for a month, but it took at least a year or two, or a year or more, till he actually made it back to Cyprus. In that time in Venice, we find him involved in two big piske din. The first one was a famous story that was going on. It was called the Get of Tamri Van Trutzoy. There were two people here. 
there was um, two people who got engaged, and then the two sides couldn't. Um, they couldn't. Um, they couldn't come to terms with whatever they were doing. They argued, and after four years, they still hadn't gotten married. And at that time, the Maram Padva put out a psak and told the chassan either marry her or 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 let her off the hook, and she's no break the engagement. And um, Rebbez Ashkenazi is signed on this psak as well, and he signs it. Misgoyer poy I'm living here in Venice. Hazor um, the, um, um, Eliezer, the young one, the, the, the small one, Eliezer. So he says, I mean, Ms. Geirer here, I'm living here in Venice. The story happens, it took actually two years for him to finally give a get, this chassin. And then afterwards, he tainted that he was forced to give the get, and he felt that it wasn't a good get. And this was also a, a big to-do. At that time, Rebbe Ashkenazi was already back in Cyprus, and he wrote, he wrote a long tshuva, to show that it was a good get. And there he signs it, These are the words of the young one, The one who's in exile in not a place of Torah, Eliezer. And we'll see what those words mean. But he was ready in Cyprus by the end of that story. So that was one story in Venice that he was involved in. And another story was a tshuva in Shin Chavdalid to the Ramah. And that was talking about a certain, also a forcing of a get. And uh, he also signed that tshuva, um, I'm living here in Venice. The third thing we find him involved in, in that period of time, between leaving Cyprus and coming back to Cyprus, is that in that year, the first Hebra Kadisha in existence was, um, was, was, was made. And that was in the city of Prague, there was a whole story over there, and they decided they needed to make something called the Hebra Kadisha. People weren't being buried, they were being left out. It was a terrible thing. So they made Hebra Kadisha Gemilus Chasadim, and at the top of the signatures, when they created this Hebra Kadisha, is Rebelezer Ashkenazi. Now, it's not, sh- we don't know why he was in Prague. We knew he was in Venice, we don't know why he was in Prague. Perhaps, some want to say perhaps, that he was really looking for a new place to live. And he was, that's why it took him so long to get to Cyprus, back, even though he said he's only going for a month. Like he signed when he got back, that I'm in a place, Shaloi B'mokim Taira. And in fact, Rebbe Leomi Pasiroi, when he, when he, when he, um, when he, talks about the Venice people, he writes, these are people, Anshe Oven Umirma, the trickery, they steal, rake him, they're empty, Peichzim, So it seems it wasn't such a good place to live, and perhaps he was looking for a place, and he tried out Prague, but he's, on that year, the first Hebra Kadisha that we know of in existence is in Prague, and he is signed at the top of the proclamation of the Hebra Kadisha. Um, then he went back to Cyprus, as we said, and in the year Shin Lamed Aleph, so the Turkish uh, emperor, uh, Sultan, he was called, um, he conquered Cyprus from, they were, had been ruled over from Malchus of Venice, Venice actually was the government, till then, and he conquered them, and it seems that for whatever reason, Rebelezer decided to leave Cyprus at that point and go live in Venice. Um, now you see why those two stories from before of about Constantinople and, and, and these types of things, it's hard with the, we find him signed on letters from different places, it's hard to be miyash of all the dates according to those two stories that we said before from the Shem HaGadolim and B'Shem the Chassam Seifer. In Shin Lamed Beis, about a year later, less than a year, he left Venice and he went north to Cremona, which is in northern Italy. 
And um, he over there, there's a tshuva that he wrote um, about um, calling gedolim of that time hagoin. Are you allowed to call them um, hagoin? And he signs it. I'm one kedekoi chad kara aguda v'chad amabra. One foot of mine is on the wall; the other is on the boat. Which sounds like that he plans on moving, like he's in transit. That even though he was there, but he's signing. I'm here, like, but I'm in movement. And it sounds like he's he's uh, traveling. At that time, also, there was a big machlokes uh, amongst gedolim about a chalitza. There was someone from from France who was a Yavam, and his Yavama, his sister-in-law, was in Tzvas. And they wanted him to travel all the way to Tzvas to do Chalitza. He didn't want to go. Rebbe Lezer Ashkenazi supported him that he didn't have to go. The Alshech agreed with Rebbe Lezer Ashkenazi. The Mabit disagreed. They're both the Mabit and the Alshech were in Tzvas. They disagreed. This is a Tshuva and Tshuva's Mabit that talked about that. Um, now, in Shin Lamed Vav, a few years later, there was a plague, there was a pandemic in Milano, in Italy. And they decided to, the Rabbonim made what's called a Sore Habrius. They made like a vad, like a, a group of those in charge of health to make Takanas, Rabbonim. And the Rabbonim made three Takanas. The first Takana they made was that anyone 10 years and older are not allowed to laugh or make any jokes. Tzchayk laughing is a terrible thing, joking is a terrible thing, and they gave terrible curses to anyone who makes jokes or smiles. Number two is, every night they have to get together in the shuls and someone's going to give them musr about a virus that people do. And the third thing is that the fast of Vahab, after Sukkot and Pesach, everyone has to fast, it's an obligation. Now, Rebbe Lezer Ashkenazi was opposed to this. He felt this whole thing and out smiling as a gzeira. No one's able to stand such a gzeira. And he felt that it was not the right thing to do. It was too harsh. He wasn't happy about obligating people to fast. Um, eventually, they agreed with him and they said that they're not going to put these curses on people who smile or make jokes. But they will just, you'll have to pay a penalty. So it's a little bit uh, less severe. And also, if you don't fast on Bahab, you also have to pay um, money as a kaifer nafshe, as a pigeon. So this is what um, he, he was able to get them to, to, um, to, um, to minimize a little bit the Xeris. Now, um, Milano is not far from Cremona. It's not far, maybe an hour or two east. So it seems that because of these, sorry, Habrius, because of this uh, you know, health board that was put into place, and he was in a machlaikas with them, that's where he left. And uh, in Chaydish Adr, Shin Lamed Vav, one of the inhabitants wrote, Hu'alufa Ashkenazi ha'yoyim, Rebeleza Ashkenazi, the great one this morning, he left, Bashmeris Habaykar, Ulrich in the morning, him and all his family, to go live either in Poland or in Russia. So he was leaving. Now, a few months before he left uh, Cremona is when he printed his Sefer Yosef Lekach, I'm Megillus Esther, and we'll talk about that a little bit um, towards the end of the year. So in Shin Lamed Vav, he left and he went towards Poland. Now, it seems he wandered a little bit, and in Shin Mem, he became the Rav of Posen. And Posen was, if you're the Rav in Posen, you're also the Rav of the entire Malchus Poland of the Polish uh, Empire. Um, so he became the Rav in Posen and in the whole Poland. Now, from this kufa, we have chuvas from, for example, the Sheiris Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Katz, who is a Rav in Krakow, the brother-in-law of the Ramah, 
has chuvas with Rebbe Lazar Ashkenazi. The chuvas masses binyamin. Um, there's a story over there about an almana who got married on Erev Shabbos, and there was no yichud before Shabbos. And the shaila is does chuppah work on its own for an almana, and that's all shaila in the paiskim. And um, Rebbe Lazar Ashkenazi was matter them to live together uh, Friday night on Shabbos. And the Masis bin Yaman says all the Rabbanim of Posen argued on him and they disagreed with him. And Rav Lazar Ashkenazi wrote a whole tshuva on this. And he brought many rayas that, it's, that a, a chuppah is kaina. And that's a big, big uh, shaila in the Paiskim. There's another tshuva there um, in Simon and Ches as well. Um, now, in Shin Mem, again, so this is Shin Mem, he became the Rav of Posen. In Shin Mem, he also wrote, finished his Sefer Maisei Hashem. And we'll talk about the Sefer in a few moments. But he wrote that I finished this in a place called Gnizin. Gnizin is about 50 kilometers east of Posen. He says, Biyisi Poi, when I was here, Bikak Medinas Poilin. Now, it sounds like that as the Rav, the chief rabbi of Poland, he had to travel around a little bit to other cities, and that's why he was in this city when he finished the Sefer Maise Hashem. So even though he signed it that I'm here, he wasn't the Rav of that place, he was the Rav of Posen and the chief rabbi of the entire country. In the year 1584, he went to Krakow, Shin Mem Dalid, and if you remember from our Shia on the Maral, the Maral left Prague uh, numerous times, but one of the times he became a Rav in Posen, he was the Rav, he was the Mamalamakam of Rebeleza Ashkenazi. We mentioned that point um, in that Shia as well. So he went to Krakow, and the Maral, Mi Prague, became the Rav in Posen. The Pnei Yeshua, who lived uh, much after that, in the late 1600s, uh, early, mid-1700s, but he was born in Krakow, he has a haskama to the Sefer Maiseh Hashem, and he writes that Reb Lezer Ashkenazi hirbits Torah Yisrael. He was marbits Torah and Klai Yisrael when he was the Av Bezdin of Krakow. He remembered him, and he writes unbelievable praises. There's no one like him in this generation. Unbelievable praises the Pnei Yeshua writes in haskama to Maiseh Hashem. There's a tshuva from again the Sheiris Yosef, Reb Yosef Katz from Krakow, who now was in the same city as Reb Lezer Ashkenazi. A famous tshuva about um, geese that they found feathers inside the geese's stomach as opposed to outside, they found them on the inside. And the question is how they got there. Did they get poked through? And if they poked through from the outside, it's a trefa. Or did somehow they grow there? So the Sheiris Yosef says that um, after the first story he says that he had with such a case, 20 years later there was another case here and... Um, he says that uh, Reb Lezer Ashkenazi now was in Krakow and he was materit, he permitted it. And he says it has to be that they grew inside because there's no way they came from the outside. And it seems that Reb Sheris Yosef really first said it was Aser. But then he writes, since Reb Lezer Ashkenazi was materit, I'm not going to Aser it, but I'm not going to matter it. And also it was a poor person, it was close to Pesach, it was a lot of Nezek uh, Gadol, a lot of um, financial loss. So he didn't want to be Materit or Aserit. Um, the Bach in Yoridea, Simon Nun Aleph, brings this Psak, and he says that Reb Lozer Ashkenazi was Materit, and he writes that even though Reb Yosef Mikrakow first said it's Aser, and then he was Chayzer and he didn't say Iser or Heter, Cain had over Pashut, says the Bach, it's Pashut that it's Mutter. And then he writes, I heard from Harbe Bnei Ashkenaz that in Germany, this is a very common thing, it's Shchiach, like the Sheris Yosef said, it happened once every 20 years. 
And the Taz in Simen Nun Aleph Sifkat and Dalit brings this Bach as well, and they bring this Psak from Abelaz Ashkenazi, that it's Mutter, the, uh, the feathers found in the geese's stomach. Um, there was another Parsha that the Bach brings, the Tshuva Sabach, um, HaChadoshes, there's a, you know, there's a sugya called Shnei Yosef ben Shimons. If there's two people with the same name in the same city, so it talks about, um, could they, you know, you have to prove which Yosef ben Shimon is divorcing his wife, which Yosef ben Shimon owes someone else money. So there's a whole shaila, what happens if their wives don't have to say, have the same name? So that in itself shows that it's a different person. Do we have to do something about that or not in any star to prove who the Yosef ben Shimon is? So that was a big to-do in, uh, in, in Krakow. And the Bach writes, I remember when I was young there was such a story in Krakow. And um, all of the G'daylim, um, um, were, uh, uh, they said it's a problem. Reblez Ashkenazi, I'm sorry, they said it's okay. Reblez Ashkenazi also agreed it's okay. And he says that's what all the Paiskim Rishonim and Acharonim hold, that if their wives have different names, it's not a problem. They don't need any more identification. Um, now the Oyser was again Rabbi Yosef Katz. Um, the Sheiris Yosef was the one who made trouble, who, who said it's Oyser. And he brought it from earlier Paiskim, from, um, from earlier Paiskim. The Ramah in Ebenezer, Kuf Lamed Vav Vav, actually brings that Yuan should be Machmer, like the Machmirim. He doesn't bring from Ablaz Ashkenazi there, but the, he brings to be Machmer. But the evidence, okay, but the one should be Machmer. But this was another big to do amongst the Gedailim that Ablaz Ashkenazi played a major role in in Krakow. He was Nifter on Friday, Yom Vav Chof Beis Kislev, Shim Mem Vav 1585, which puts him about 73 years old, and he was buried in Krakow. Um, over the years, his Matseva was lost. They couldn't find it. Um, Rabbi Yosef Stern, like we quoted him before from the, the Chsam Seifer, he says that when his grand, he heard from his father-in-law, Rabbi Shloim Alexandri, who was a son of Rabbi Shimon Seifer, the Rav of Krakow, the Chsam Seifer's youngest son, and he says when Reb Shimon Seifer became Rav in Krakow, so the minig was they would go to the old Beis Akvaris, the Rav would go and ask Rishus from the uh, old Rabbonim, who's in that Beis Akvaris, I was able to be there, Rav Lezer Ashkenazi, the Bach, the Megal Amukas, the Taisus Yantif, um, the Rebbe Reb Heschel, big Gedolim are there. And they would, he would go and ask Rishus, um, you know, to be the Rav and to daven for his success. So they let him in, and none of the parnasim, none of the uh, officers or the uh, of, of of the city went in with him. He went on his own. None of the askanim went in. When he came out, they asked him, "By whose kever did you daven?" He said, "I daven by Belazar Ashkenazi." Sir Belazar Ashkenazi, no one knows where his kever is. His matzeva was lost. He says, "What do you mean? I davened by his matzeva." They went back in all together, and again they couldn't find it. But Reb Shimon Seifer says he remembers some of the Nusuch, the text on the Matzeva. And he would talk, you know, and they had written down from years before. So he knew some of the text. So Vahila Pella was an unbelievable Pella. Somehow he revealed himself, so Reb Shimon Seifer Kadavin, by his Matzeva. Um, in 1925, they did some excavations and they started digging there. And they eventually found the Matzeva that had been sunk totally in the ground for many, many years. His wife was named Rochel. She was nifter about seven years after him, also building, um, um, buried in Krakow. And he had two sons. One was named also Elia, like his father. The second one, we don't know his name. And he had one daughter um, who was married to, a, I think, a Rav in Krakow.
What are his svarim? He seems he wrote many svarim, but we only have two of them in print. Um, and his um, and his matseva, there was a picture I had in my status. You can look there if it's still up. It says there it's marumas that he had other svarim because it says over there sefer Ezri. Now I don't know what Ezri means, but it says uchuvaisai my chuvas, maise Hashem and Yosef lekach. So maise Hashem and Yosef lekach we have. It sounds like he had chuvas. Um, in the Sefer Noivlas Chachma, it writes that Rav Ashkenazi had over a thousand questions on the Sefer Beis Yosef that he wrote down. Um, so it sounds like he had a lot of ksavim. He wrote a pirish on the Ramban, similar to the pirish of the Re'em and Rashi, Rav Elio Mizrahi and Rashi, a pirish on Rashi. So Rav Ashkenazi had written a similar pirish on the Ramban that we also don't have. There's Chidushim and Shas and Halacha that there are manuscripts of um, that are floating around in different museums and things like that. Um, there's Ksav Yad, but no real Svarim that we have from him um, from all of these Kisve Yad. He was a person who composed Slichais and Piyutim for different things that happened during his life. He was a very, a, they called him a Paitan Balregish, a very emotional composer of songs and of po- poems. In the, in the, uh, in the Pincus, in the uh, in the uh, memoirs of the Vad Arba Haratzos, in the year Shin Ayin Dalid, um, which is in the early 1600s, there was uh, terrible things going on at that time in the Arba Haratzos of Poland and, and the vicinity, and they said we we have to constantly daven um, because of things that are going on. And they wrote that we've seen in the past printed in Krakow. Slichais that Rebbe Lozer Ashkenazi said one should recite when Chas V'Shalom there's a tzara. So therefore they put out an edict. They said, the Iskamnu, we decided it's time to reprint them all so that everyone should have these slichas in their hand if there's a time that we'll need it. So it seems it had been printed constantly and consistently in that time in, in Rebbe Lozer Ashkenazi's days. And they said we must reprint it that people um, should have it. The Sefer Maisei Hashem, it seems he wrote for his son to give him Hadracha in understanding the stories of Hamisha Chumshei Taira. It's an explanation of Hamisha Chumshei Taira, Alderech HaMachshava. It's divided into four Chalakim, four sections. One's called Maisei Bereshis, Maisei Avais, Maisei Mitzrayim, and Maisei Taira, which deals with all the mitzvahs from Parshas Beshalach until the end of the Taira. Each Chalak has chapters to it. And the famous Haggadah of the of Rebbelezer Ashkenazi is Perek Chavdalid of the Chelek of Maisa Mitzrayim. In that Chelek, where he talks all about Mitzrayim, Perek Chavdalid he wrote on the Haggadah, and there's Haggadahs now known as Haggadahs Maisei Hashem, but really that's one chapter out of a big Sefer on Chumash. In fact, in Nesivas, in his Haggadah called Maisenisim, the Nativists lived in the end of the 1700s, early 1800s, he based his Pirush on the Maisei Hashem. He argues with him many times, but he, he deals with the questions that the Maisei Hashem asks. He quotes him numerous times. His whole Sefer is based on that. Um, and we said before the Pnei Yeshua wrote Askama, and he was Meshabeach, um, Rebbe Lezer Ashkenazi Lahafli. The Yosef Lekach is a pirush on Megillas Esther, and it's a pirush bo'imek pshat. It's understanding the pshat, an unbelievable pirush, where the point of it is to show how every word and every pasuk is showing the, the nace of, of Purim. 
And he goes and Be'arichus, he has many questions on each Pasuk, and he shows how each word in each Pasuk is here, each one of them from the beginning of Ahivi Me'achashverus till the end, is all showing the nace of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And uh, the Gain, like we said, based his Pirush on Rav Lezer Ashkenazi's Pirush. The Gain is much more Bekitzer, is much more, um, much shorter. Kedarka, the Gain always writes very short. He doesn't usually have questions and answers. He just writes things. And when you learn them together, and that's why in the newest editions of the Pirush Hagra, it has the Yosef Lekach on the page, and if you learn them together, you see the background. He doesn't always say the exact same shot, but very often... Um, they're either answering the same question or saying the exact um, same shot, which is a chiddush, because the gra was a was an independent person, and that he should he should base a pirish of his on someone earlier, not from the rishonim, is a very big chiddush, and it's a testimony to who Rabbi Lazar Ashkenazi um, was. Now, why was it called Yosef Lekach? His name wasn't Yosef. So in the in the Hakdama he writes, it's named for Don, Don Yos, Yosef Nasi. He was a very high officer in the uh, Turkish government. The Turkish Sultan, as we said before, um, was he was a high officer in his court. And um, he writes in the Hakdama, Asheraz we have not heard such a thing. And we have not seen such a thing that a Gaisha king should give so much covid to a Jewish person, except for three people we know in history. Yosef in Mitzrayim, Mordechai in Shushan, and Doin Yosef Nasi in Turkey. Now, where did he become so close to him that he was willing to name the Sefer Lichvaidai? And he must have done a lot for the Jews if he was willing to name the Sefer Lichvaidai. He doesn't really say his relationship with him. And the way we've shown through his travels, and we've shown by the years, we don't really have him um, in Turkey too much or at all, we only have the Chassam Seifer's Messiah that he ended up shipwrecked in Constantinople, but somewhere along the line he must have made a Shaykhaz with him, and because of that he named the Seifer after him, and that's called, that's the name, Yosef Lekach. And just to end off with a Dvar Torah from Leza Ashkenasi, Le'ilu Nishmasai, in the Hakdama, in the preface, he writes, and the Goyin in Megillus Esther, in one of the first few Psukim, also talks about this, and he writes that Kla Yisrael after Churban Beis Hamikdash were despondent and despaired. They thought there's no way Hashem is going to listen to us. We're in Gullus. Um We lost the Beis Hamikdash, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu wanted to show that He's Makabal our Tfilos even in Gullus. And that Purim was the first nace that happened in Gullus between Beis Rishon and Beis Sheni, and Hashem answered our Tfilos. Mardchai Davind. And that's one of the big Yisaitis of Purim and the biggest, big Yisaitis of our great Rebbe, Rebbe Shalai Mebrev de Zichrayin Levracha. And um, Hanukkah was also, that was in Second Beis Hamikdash. Second Beis Hamikdash was also a type of a Gullus because we weren't under our own control for the first 200 years. And he writes that both Hanukkah and Purim, Chazal made the Mordechai and Beis Dinai and Chashmoinoi and his, and his people, they gave us these Yom Tovim to remind us and to celebrate that HaKadosh Baruch Hu answers our tefillahs even though we're in Golis. But he asked the question, the Yosef Lekach, why is it that Hanukkah was not L'mishto L'simcha? Hanukkah is coming up next week. It was not L'mishto L'simcha. It's L'hala L'hoida. It's a Ruchni, a sticker thing. But we don't celebrate with, with, with uh, parties and we don't have a mitzvah of Simcha. 
And Purim is not like that. Purim is Mishta and Simcha. So he writes and he says, because the difference between Hanukkah and Purim was that on Hanukkah there was a big Yeshua, but many Jews were, were killed and died as well. Many of Kala Yisrael were killed during the different wars that happened, and throughout the entire Gzeira, the Yavanim killed out many Jews. So although we celebrate and we give Baruch Hu, we cannot have Simcha, we cannot have joy, we cannot have Mishta, because many of Jewish people were killed. Mashain came when it came to Purim by Mordechav Esther, V'ish loy omad bifneihem, no one stood up to them, which means to say they went and they killed 75,000 um, Amalekim in the times of Purim and no one stood up to them. A Rebbe Rav Rev used to describe this and they would just let themselves almost be killed. The, the Goyim, no one stood up to them. Not one Jew was lost. And because of that, we thank Hashem but at the same time, we're able to celebrate with Mishta and Simcha. And that's the difference between the two Takanas. And if you have time, it's Kedai to look in the Akdama to Yosef Lekach because he talks about not just Purim, but he talks about Hanukkah as well, as we just mentioned one prat of it, but it's Dvorim Noiroim over there, and Bez Hashem, he should be a Yosher, like I said, his yard site is next Tuesday, Chav Bey's Kislev is uh, his 435th yard site, and Bishchusai, Bishchus Kolat Tzadikim, we should be Zoyche to Yeshuais and Nechamais, and Bez Hashem, the greatest Yeshua, the coming of Mashiach Tzidkenu, Bimheir of Amen. Have a wonderful day. Call to everyone.